Hey guys, and welcome to the Because Maybe podcast, the podcast that takes a look at all things 90s and tries to answer some of the most important questions of the decade. Because maybe the glove did fit. I'm your host, John Connolly, and thank you for whoever you are, wherever you are, for taking the time out of the day to listen to this podcast. We have a great podcast for you this week, too. We look at some celebrity justice. We go back and find out what President Clinton used to say and a couple of other bits and nonsense surrounding Movember and what's going on in the world right now. Uh, guys, if you were on social media, look us up, Because Maybe Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, as well as Google+, Plus for all five people who use Google+. Plus. Uh, we're also on YouTube. Look up Because Maybe Podcast. We have some bonus content on there. We also have some uh, episode samples and, you know, so on and so forth. Just a, f- a few things going through. Uh, we also have a blog, becausemaybepodcast.wordpress.com. And that's kind of where we put a preview of everything. You know, that's where we put breaking news in text form and so on and so forth. Just kind of keeping, you know, keeping everything going. Uh, we are looking to grow our audience. So, guys, if you like this podcast, please like, share, subscribe, and just, you know, put put us out there. Let, let us, you know, let us know that we've done something. And that way, you know, you can tell your friends, you can tell two friends, and so on and so forth, and that we can grow our audience. Because that's one of the things I'm looking for right now. I'm looking to grow our audience. I'm looking to have more people come listen. We can do more things. The more people we have listened to, the more I can do with the podcast, too. Um, I can start releasing merchandise for everybody, for example. I can start doing competitions and giveaways and stuff. But I really can't do it with, you know, a very, very small audience. I need to at least treble my audience for a start thinking about that kind of stuff, but it's always in the back of my mind. We're also looking for people to help us out with the social media pages, uh, not necessarily to handle them and control them, but for somebody who c- I can pick their brain, just try and find out, you know, what's the best way to do these things. Uh, if you guys do run a social media page, drop me a line, uh, because maybe podcast at gmail.com, and I will, you know, pick your brains, just ask you a couple of questions and some advice and so on and so forth. Uh, in return, I guess I'll give you some advertising stuff. I, I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. But if you do run that kind of thing, please let me know and, you know, we can we can swap uh, swap ideas, so to speak. Uh, I wanted to thank everybody who took the time to uh, do some stuff with the Movember campaign. Uh, we didn't hit the goal, unfortunately, but we did do something and that's, that's all I needed. That's all I wanted us to do is just to do something. Uh, you know, the goal of Movember is to raise awareness about men's health. And it, it's a subject that doesn't get spoken about as much as it should, uh, especially because of the stupid, ridiculous man-up culture that you'll hear somebody say, they'll say, oh, you just need to man up, man. And I'm thinking, yeah, how do you man up? The way you man up is you admit that there's a problem. Um, so that's that's kind of what I've done. I've admitted that there's a problem, and I've been, you know, uh, trying to take care of it as best I can. Um, being open and honest, I think, is the first step. Um, I'm not trying to say like a 12-step thing, but the first step of identifying that there's something wrong is to admit that there's something wrong. And, you know, last week I started going to speak to someone and, you know, we're starting to make progress. Uh, I'm not happy at the uh, at the the results so far, let's put it that way. Um, not in the fact that the person is doing a good job, but I'm not happy that she's absolutely 100% right. Uh, and I'm not happy that it's taken me this long to figure it out. But, um, you know, that's something I have to do. That's something I have to step forward. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm happy right now that I'm finally on my way. And, you know, that's, 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 that's something that, you know, I've been trying to, to do for the last couple of months because the mood around, uh, you know, around the Connolly household has not been great when dad's been in a bad mood. So, um, but, you know, I got, like I said last week, I got to thank Sarah and the kids. They've kind of kept me level. They've kept me sane. And you guys too, for all the support that you've given, for all the, the, the listens, the downloads, the feedback, I can't thank you enough. You know, between my family and this podcast, 
it has kept me sane it has kept me on the straight and narrow and it has kept me from you know spending all day in bed in the fetal position <laughs> just you know having a nervous breakdown but with that in mind to keep the laughs going uh we're going to take a look at four notorious people from the 90s and talk about their criminal activities Ooh. now just a pre-warning um it does contain talk of gary glitter and for those of you who don't know, Gary Glitter was convicted of uh, sex crimes against children. So if that's not your kind of thing, you know, to hear me condemn somebody like that, you know, you can fast forward past that. But the rest of the stuff is more, you know, more what we do, just analysis and so on. It is a little quicker than normal, but I'll explain why uh, at the end of the show, why it was quicker than normal. And yeah, we'll get into it right now. Cultural Impact so this week's cultural impact is celebrity justice. Um, it's called that because, you know, we thought differently about celebrities. Celebrities were higher than high, mightier than mighty, and very few of them could have been involved in any form of anything illegal. You know, despite all the fact that all the sex and drugs and rock and roll that was going around at the time, it just seemed weird, you know, when we were told that uh, some of our heroes, some of the people we looked up to, could be involved in some nefarious and criminal activities. Today we're going to look at four different examples. Um, two of them are pretty famous. Two of them are not as famous, but are as equally as important. I don't want to end this this part on a down note. Um, but, you know, we did have that mentality. We didn't like to believe that our heroes could be bad in any way, shape, or form. And how we flipped that after... A couple of these events that, that, that I'm going to talk about right now, how we flipped that mentality, um, we went from a mentality of anybody who was famous could never do anything illegal to every time a celebrity walked across the street and was, was done with jaywalking, um, it's now, well, is that all they, is that all they did? Is, you know, it's jaywalking everything that they got. So it was, it's just weird, you know, what, and that's one of the things I wanted to focus on in the podcast to begin with, and this I think is a great example, you know, um, we look first at, you, you can't talk about 90s celebrities and criminals without talking about the O.J. Simpson trial. Now, this isn't the O.J. Simpson trial. I want to put a stop right now to referring to it as the O.J. Simpson case. I want to refer to this as the murder of Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. Not the O.J. Simpson case, because here's the thing. Those two were the victims in this case. We, we all know that. O.J. Simpson's ex-wife, or estranged wife, and her alleged partner at the time. Now, as we know... Uh, Brown and Goldman were both murdered, and O.J. Simpson was the prime suspect. And after a huge media storm, uh, O.J. Simpson was found not guilty in criminal court, although later he was found liable in um, a wrongful death suit brought about by the Goldman family. And, you know, this case in particular, it was in 1994, 1995, around about that time, uh, 94 was the murder, 95 was the, um, was the trial, and... It kind of was in a sensitive area of the world, not long after the Los Angeles riots, after the Rodney King trial, uh, which, in my opinion, was a was a joke that the people got away with that. But, you know, that's another story for another day. Um, but it just showed how society was at the time. A lot of people were thinking, O.J. Simpson can't be can't be a criminal. O.J. Simpson can't have can't have done something bad. There must be a mistake. And, you know, as the time went on. It became an absolute circus. Something that was embarrassing, I think, to society as a whole. Um, the media storm in itself... Let's, let's just go through some of the things of the media storm. 
There were at least 2,300 new segments on national news dedicated to the trial, the case, over a three-year period. To put that in perspective, there was a war in Bosnia and the Oklahoma City bombing. Those two got less screen time than a trial for a celebrity. It changed how the media handled the big cases. The LA Times placed the crime 300 times on the front page during the whole course of the investigation. Now, look, I know that this was a big deal, but to overshadow a war, terrorist activity, and to be a year's worth of front-page news for the one of the largest cities in the United States, that's a big deal. And don't get me wrong, it was a circus. It's like everybody cashed in their pound of flesh. You know, it was grotesque. Uh, it went way beyond what a trial should have been. Uh, even even one with, with, with the stakes as high. Remember, O.J. Simpson was up for the death penalty. And, you know, if it was just a normal murder case, which happened every day in major cities, there's very little local news on this, never mind national news. The notoriety of the people involved, okay, may be elevated to the next level. But for nearly a year, front-page news, 2,300 new segments... Uh, the sport, I think one of the NBA finals was preempted during a day of the trial. They called it the trial of the century. Uh, you know, you had O.J. Simpson bringing in this dream team of lawyers of uh, Robert Shapiro, Johnny Cochran, uh, Robert Kardashian, who actually renewed his law license to, to do this case. You know, it was just, it was beyond... Um, Beyond a circus, I think. A circus is, is one way to describe it because, you know, it just, it was over the top and it was, it was gutter. I mean, it was completely and utterly gutter and snide the whole way through. Uh, the defendant, the victim, they were plastered everywhere across this news. Uh, all across the tabloids, all, ac all across, you know, anything you can think of. And it was just mudslinging after mudslinging after mudslinging. And not only did, were they all over the news, all over the media. The lawyers were all over the media. The state prosecution lawyers, they were all over the news. Um, it just, it, it was, one, it was the trial of the century in the sense that it got a lot of viewers, it, you know, it made a lot of money for a lot of people, but also at the same time, it kind of, it was a farce in the coverage of it. Not to mention, you know, the it, and that's the thing too. It was this. It was a serious, serious case. It was a double murder, and it just descended into this ugliness. This, this just, you know, thinking about it now make, makes makes me look. You know, it's it, and and you can say a lot of things, but I mean, this was really a circus. You know, um, Audrey Simpson was found not guilty, as I mentioned. You know, a lot of people wonder what was, why was the outcome like it was? Was it because of race? Was it because of O.J. Simpson being wealthy? Um, I think more to do with the fact of the of his wealth. Um, he was very, very wealthy. O.J. Simpson, he could put together this crack team of lawyers, and he was able to, you know, to get this team together to who was smooth talking and was able to basically pull the trigger on, you know, helping make his case for him and you know it's 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 a touchy subject at the end of the day the, the verdict is but looking back it's more than just uh 
the gutter snide of this the, the media and you know the, the just just the makes you want to have a wash afterwards it did have a lot of substantial changes to how we view things um first and foremost is the rise of the kardashians and the jenna clan they were just practically nothing until this happened you know um and they kind of got notoriety and that spun off and spun off and now here they are um it also led to led to as i mentioned earlier now because of the verdict and because of the circus that surrounded celebrities are no longer innocent until proven guilty they're now guilty until proven innocent and if they are proven innocent well oh well you know it's because they're wealthy um people like uh, robert shapiro actually benefited a lot professionally uh legal zoom for example if anybody's used the legal zoom product that is his company uh, things like Core TV, you know, it started earlier on in the in the 80s and maybe even in the 70s, but it really, really took off. I mean, there were so many judge shows out there. It was like everybody was was taking everybody to small claims court just to be on TV because, hey, the biggest thing on TV right now is criminal court, you know. Um, but this isn't the last time that the Dream Team would come together. They would actually come together uh, by another person who we're going to talk about later on. So from one sports star committing a heinous act to another one who paid somebody to commit a heinous act. I want to talk about Tony Hardin, whose husband paid to assault uh, rival skater Nancy Kerrigan. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a hitman was hired by Tony Hardin's bodyguard and husband to break Kerrigan's knee right before the 1994 Olympics. Somewhat successful in terms of the assault, somebody somebody did get in, smack Kerrigan above the knee, but the damage, thankfully, wasn't as extensive as what was wanted by the Harding camp. Uh, and when it came out that Tony Harding may have been involved, there was a media frenzy in Norway where the uh, Winter Olympics were were held. I don't know the, the true reasons behind it. So, some say it was jealousy, some say Tony was scared because she was going to lose her spot as the top uh, American figure skater. And, you know, when it came out that she she was behind, or at least her camp was behind it on her behalf, uh, you know, it, it was an outrage. I mean, she was banned for life from professional figure skating in 1994, both as a performer and as a coach. And strangely enough, she only received probation and community service for all of this. Now, this is the thing. You know, when we speak about this incident, like the O.J. Simpson thing, we talk about Tonya Hardin. Very few people talk about Nancy Kerrigan, but it's always Tonya Hardin. Tonya Hardin, Tonya Hardin, Tonya Hardin. And and here's what I mean. Uh, in the aftermath of the assault, uh, she released a sex tape for Penthouse. She worked for AAA in Mexico, uh, which is a professional wrestling organization. Fun fact, she managed Eddie Guerrero, former WWE champion and Hall of Famer. Imagine that. Uh, she once boxed Paula Jones in celebrity boxing and actually made pro fights as well, although she ended up in defeat. She worked as a commentator for True TV, you know, on all those dumbest criminal shows. Um, and her fame is bigger now than it was before the attack. She, she's more notoriety. I mean, there's a museum dedicated to the incident. There is a Tonya Harding biography in the works called I, Tonya. And heck, the incident has been referenced in songs, music videos, comedy shows. Even President Obama once cracked a joke about this. But that's Tonya Hardin. That's not the victim. That's 
the perpetrator. That's the person who committed this heinous act against someone. What happened to Nancy Kerrigan? I mean, she finished second in the Olympics that year. And, you know, to come back after an injury like that and somebody try to end your career is absolutely fantastic. Uh, She did return... Some controversy that year. She did return home early from the Olympic Games and was criticised for it. And I can understand that. One of the reasons she was criticised for leaving the Olympics early was in the closing ceremony of the Olympics, Kerrigan was in Orlando having a parade at Disney World. Um, And at the parade, she she made some unflattering remarks about the parade. Now, they were taken out of context completely. Uh, she claimed she was taught to be humble, which I, I can certainly see, and she felt the parade was kind of against that upbringing and kind of an uncomfortable setting, and, you know, she thought it was cheesy, she thought it was, it just, it just didn't fit who she was. Um, but she did become a spokesperson for the Fight for Sight charity. She has made cameos in movies, and she has worked as a pundit on TV shows about competitive skating. Uh, she has appeared on Dancing with the Stars uh, in 2017, this year. And, you know, I think she came in the third round. I don't I don't watch that. I mean, you know. <laughs> um, but um, her notoriety is lower than Tonya Harding. I mean, she, as, as I mentioned, even in my notes, the way I've written it, written it out, she seems like the afterthought. Tonya Harding didn't pay to assault thin air. You know, it was for another living human being. Somebody in her in her industry, in her competition that she felt she couldn't beat. And when we talk about it now, it's Tonya Harding, Tonya Harding. And, you know, Nancy Kerrigan has done really, really well. But she's looked to put this incident behind her as much as you can. But, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a weird, weird way of thinking that, you know, it's it's... It, it's kind of like the when people make the Australian, you know, make the joke about the dingo eating the baby, and you know that was a real event. You know, we we don't as a society we never moved on from that. We always thought Tony Harden, Tony Harden, Tony Harden, and to me that you know that it just it just seems like the victim was the afterthought in this one, and you know once again we've done that with everything. The victim has been the afterthought. You know, um, in in crimes today, when there's been, uh, you know, I hate, I hate to bring the mood down a little bit, but you know, if there's been a mass shooting, or if there's been a mass car crash, or we always look at the the perpetrator and not so much of the victims. And you know, that's something I hope as in future that as as a people we we start looking more of the victims than we do of the perpetrators. And speaking of perpetrators, this is something that I hope someone will never get out of prison. Um, I'm talking about Gary Glitter. Uh, For those of you who who may not know him, he's a 1970s rock star from the United Kingdom. And he's probably famous for songs Rock and Roll Number 2 and It's Good To Be Back. If you don't know the names of those songs, you do know the songs, especially if you're a sports fan in the United States. Um, They're played at every sporting event that you can think of from football to baseball it's a real rock sporty kind of get to it song he was really big in the 70s and he was kind of big in the 80s but this is where he publicly started to unravel and i'm gonna that's that's important he took his computer to a pc world in the united kingdom to get it repaired and they found thousands upon thousands of indecent images of children on it and he was convicted he was arrested and convicted 
uh, he was only sentenced to four months. Unlike the the other two cases I've spoken about, he was actually sent to prison, but for a ludicrously short time. Four months for the, literally thousands and thousands of indecent pictures of children. That's just, you know, that makes my blood boil. Uh, he fled to Cambodia, where further charges were filed against him, and he actually fled and went back to the United Kingdom. Um, his case was kind of a precursor to the UK's Operation U-Tree. That's where um, a lot of celebrity sex crimes were followed up. And the good thing about it was is that he was caught by that sting, and he currently now is in prison for the next 16 years. And, you know, in, in my opinion, it should be longer than that, because you don't mess around with children, as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, he's it, it, it's good that in the last... Uh, last 10 years, it, it's been caught up. But this is another thing. This is another thing of, of hypocrisy that we have as a people. I promise I'm going to get off my soapbox. I promise. But there is a little bit of, 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 of something that, you know, we still do to this. Um, we still play Gary Glitter's music at sporting events. Sporting events that involve children. Sporting events that, you know, still play his music and his words, you know, in front of, in front of people. Now, there are people who have committed crimes or committed, you know, offenses against uh, against women, children, whatever, who, you know, we either love or hate. You know, there's Chris Brown and John Lennon. You know, I'll, I'll let you figure out which one, you know, we hate and which one we love. But we still, there's still a bunch of us who are uncomfortable playing either of their music because of their crime, what they've, what they've done in society and what's been well publicized. Now, I will say this, domestic abuse is absolutely horrendous. And it's absolutely disgusting and it's wrong. But if you are using domestic abuse as your marker for music censorship, then then sexual abuse against children, in my opinion, should disqualify you from making money and have your music played ever, ever, ever. You know, it's just it's just the way it's got to be. And, you know, thankfully he's in prison. And thankfully he's locked up for the majority of the rest of his life. Because he is getting on right now. And hopefully, you know, he, he, he repents. Because if there's ever one person who's going to a hell, it's definitely Gary Glitter. But I don't want this to be all doom and gloom. We're going to look at one more famous person. And their contribution to our mentality. Uh, it's Robert Downey Jr., uh, Robert Downey Jr. was ad admitted that he's been addicted to drugs since he was eight years old, and in the 90s he was arrested for drug possession and actually trespassing in houses. In 1997, he was sentenced to six months in prison for missing a mandatory drug test, and again in 1999 he missed another drug test and was sentenced to three years. He joked that he was five minutes late to a miracle, but he hired the Dream Team. He got uh, good old O.J. Simpson's legal team to defend him. And after spending a year in rehab, he was released in the 2000s and joined the cast of Ally McBeal. Now, that's where, you know, that sounds like a good deal. His career is back on track, but there is a little more. And I am stepping outside my 90s boundary. It's only taken, it's only taken less than an hour, but, you know, it's not going too far because, you know, we've got to look at this in context. Uh, he was arrested again in 2000 with uh, cocaine in his system. And again in 2001, and this time he was sent to rehab under the Prop 36 law. And since then, he's overcome his demons. And that's, that's, that's a good thing. You know, he had, he had his problems, 
Uh, drug addiction is not something that is, you know, you can argue that starting to take drugs is a choice, but when you're addicted to something, you're addicted to something. Look, I'm, I'm addicted to certain kinds of food right now. Addiction isn't, a, addiction isn't funny, and addiction isn't something that's easily done. I mean, sure, he, he probably, uh, you know, made the choice in starting his, his, his drug journey, but, I mean, you know, ad, addicts are, are not something to be, to be ridiculed. Addiction is a hard thing to, to, to overcome. And he has overcome. He's now, you know, a mega, mega movie star, playing, obviously, Tony Stark, uh, Sherlock Holmes, and in numerous other roles. And he actually has been nominated for an Oscar in his ironic role in Tropic Thunder. Um, you know, it is good to see that people can overcome this. Because, yes, the other three things on the list were people hurting other people. Whereas in Robert Downey Jr.'s case, he was still breaking the law, but he was only hurting himself. And it's good to see that now he's finally in the position where he wants to be, in the position where he should be. You know, he's a fantastic actor. He's a very, very funny man. Yes, he's got some arrogance, which comes out a lot in the Iron Man and the Avengers movies. But, I mean, you know, it's good to see somebody take charge of their life. And, you know, the good the good thing is, is that he, you know, he doesn't hide from his past. He doesn't hide from anything else he's done. Whereas the other folks on the list, you know, have. And... You know, again, as I've mentioned before, you know, the 90s, we started out with this uh, view of certain celebrities. We thought they were untouchable. We thought that they could do no wrong. And over the course of 10 years, we completely flipped on that. Uh, These incidences alone are not the only things that uh, celebrities did during the decade. And, you know, just how we as a society flipped everything around now not just celebrities any high profile case is now uh, guilty until proven innocent and if you're proven innocent then it's a bench jury it's you've paid the judge off you've got too much money uh, it's a, it's a peer pressure thing we don't want to put your kind in prison we don't want to put this kind you know and i think that you know that in a way we grew by putting our guard up around certain people but we put it up too much and now we, we've let that bleed into other things, too. Everybody has some degree of suspicion about everyone else. And this maybe, you know, was a good thing that it that we came to this realization, but at the cost of a few lives that were ruined. A lot of lives that were ruined. But we as a people, you know, we now know the signs. We know what to look for. We're more war-weary than what we were. And I think, you know... These kind of things won't happen in the future anymore. We're not going to make a sports star famous for trying to deliberately end the career of another sports star. We're not going to play the music of convicted pedophiles at our sporting events if they're famous enough. We're not going to put up with the murder of the wife of some sports star. I mean, we've look, we, we can say what we want, but I mean, in the last 10 years alone, Oscar Pistorius has proven that as a society and as a people... We don't believe anymore that the glove did not fit. So we we have grown. And I think these four in particular, we've become more forgiving of addicts and more forgiving of people who are hurting themselves. We become less tolerable of violent crimes. We become less tolerable of violent crimes against women. And we certainly don't deal with sabotage and bad sportsmanship anymore. I know that one sounds wrong, but I mean, that to me... You know, as a sports fan, sportsmanship is still top, you know. And 
We're also not going to put up with this anymore. As a society, we've not only grown up, but I think we've all kind of unconsciously decided not to have our intelligence insulted anymore. And I think that's that's absolutely fantastic. And you know, in the future, things like this hopefully won't happen again. And hopefully that we as a people can learn the signs to make sure that they won't happen again. And that is a good thing. And that, you know, is hopefully something that we build on. Great speeches in political history. A date which will live in infamy. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale. I am looking for clips of other world leaders, uh, not just Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton is good for a giggle, uh, especially when it comes to stuff like this. And now looking back, I realize it's a bad choice of skit, but I'm going to keep it in there, and I'm going to put this forward um, to kind of as an, as an addendum to the last segment. Now, the last segment was only like 23 minutes. Just a quick podcast note that the original idea for that segment was supposed to be, um, you know, the the main celebrity justice, the main cultural impact, the main scenes of the 90s and review corner and everything that I do. It's only supposed to be about 20, 25, 30 minutes long. And I know with the Britpop episode, I spoke for a while. I know with the Groundhog Day episode and the Wayne's World episode, I spoke for a while. And I realized the more information I could get out there as entertaining as I could be, you know, the better. Uh, but this one is short because this was the first thing that I recorded. In fact, literally the first thing I recorded for this podcast was this, just to kind of see, you know, get the flow going. And I figured that, you know, it was good enough material, even though I flew a little bit through it. But I wanted to add an addendum to it. I wanted to add a little add-on right now. Um, I very rarely in this podcast will talk about current events. Uh, I know I spoke about Tom Petty a couple of weeks ago because Tom Petty was a he- musical hero of mine. And... His death meant something to me. Um, as I mentioned before, the guy who who taught me all my production techniques and taught me a lot of guitar techniques, he was a big Tom Petty fan, and, you know, so on and so forth. But um, you can't talk about celebrities and high-profile criminals without talking about the current climate uh, in the United States. Now, for my United Kingdom, Canada, Australia listeners, the United States is not the only place in the world. I understand that. And a lot of these high-profile things that have come out have been United States people. So I just wanted to clarify that right now. As a man, I have no say in anything that's coming out right now. And what I mean by that is, I don't have the right... Well, not even as a man, as a human being. I don't have the right to tell the victims what they should and shouldn't have done. Sexual abuse, any kind of abuse... Uh, when you open up about it, it is a big, big emotional withdrawal. A big, big emotional, like, geezer going off, like a volcano. And it just erupts out of you. And we as a society should not be telling the victims of historical sexual abuses that they should have, A, told it earlier, B, being opportunistic in, in why they're talking about it, or C, you should have done something about it then. These kind of things are emotionally unbelievable. If they haven't happened to you, you can't say 
what it is. It's empathy. A lot of people say it's privilege. No. One thing we lack as a society, privilege is a thing. Fine. Fair enough. But one thing we lack as a society is empathy. And I'm sick and tired of seeing people with no empathy towards anybody just give their thoughts and opinions on something with less knowledge than a rock. If you haven't experienced something, then you should not, not tell other people how to handle it. You cannot tell people how to handle it because that is not correct. That's not right. The victims of of, of the swarm that have come out deserve our support because they need it. Men, women, they need it. Before too much longer in the United States of America, there is going to be a high-profile case, like the Gary Glitter case, like the Ian Watkins case in the UK. If you're unfamiliar with that, go look it up. I warn you right now, I'm not responsible for any anything that, that sets anybody off, because it's horrifying. But that's going to be the next big thing. We are going to be getting news on a high-profile United States child abuser. And what excuses are we going to use to the children? They were asking for it. They were... They should have said something when they were... Ch- they, that's where we are right now in the world. We, as I mentioned in the, in the bit, that we are more and more and more aware of these kind of things now. We're more aware of them because we're not stupid and we've had enough people come out and talk about them that we know that there's something up. If I go to an area of the world that has a large amount of sex offender signs out there, I feel a little bit more comfortable. Why? Because the same amount of sex offenders live in every street, in every society, in every city, you know, the same number. But the problem is, is that this little cul-de-sac right here, we've identified them, and we know who they are. That's one of the things. People are saying there's an explosion of abuse, explosion of domestic abuse, sexual sexual abuse, uh, uh, child abuse, whatever. No, there's not an explosion. It's just people are finally getting the balls to talk about it because, you know what, we're sick and tired of it. Now, I am upset, not as a victim, but I'm upset for society. And everybody who has ever been messed with, everybody who's ever been in a position where they've been abused, taken advantage of, whatever, for what it's worth, I offer you my support. To the people who committed these atrocities, go f*** yourself. So, that's pretty much my uh, soapbox. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I know, that was a little bit intense. That was a little me you know, going off a little bit. And uh, normally I'd apologize, but you know what? I don't care. I don't care anymore. This is, you know, this is, uh, yeah, this is, this to, to me, you know, to me, this is important enough to speak out and not care about what people think. I very rarely do that because I try and... I try and be nice. I try and play nice. I try and play well with others. And you know what? I can play well with others. But when your definition of playing well with others and my definition of playing well with others are completely far apart, then, you know, I try I try my best to be nice and I try my best to work through it. But at the end of the day, I don't think I could. So, um, okay, with my ranting and raving aside right now, I, I, I better hurry up and start closing this out. If you guys are on social media, look us up Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, because maybe podcast, uh, that's where you'll find us. You know, we have uh, extra content on YouTube. 
and uh, we have the first bonus episode because maybe extra where I start with the boy and we talk about Mario 3 real quick uh, kind of rebuttal to my original Mario 3 statement uh, the link for that is going to be in the description of the podcast next week's show going back to the well so to speak uh one of the things that i wanted to do the very very first episode was do a scenes a you know a cultural impact something like that and then do like a movie review or something but then when i kind of started talking i realized that i I ramble so we're going back to the well so to speak and do the second half of what would have been the first episode of the podcast and i'm going to be joined by 90s music extraordinaire 90s music connoisseur, the one and only Greg Gregory. Greg is going to rejoin us, and we're going to be talking about Blink-182, Enema of the State. That album, in my opinion, epitomies the 90s. It is the, uh, the, the... When you think of 90s albums, you think of Enema of the State, basically, is what I'm saying. And we're going to look at why it's not as childish and as sophomoric as it looks like on the surface. Mm, yeah there's a little subtext to everything now yes it is childish and sophomoric but there's a reason behind that other than the fact that blink 182 were a childish band um but no I, I like the album i think it's a good album um and i'll explain why next week but until then that's it for this week and i hope everything is good with you and we will see you next week thank you guys have a good one <laughs>